Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. race is on and George Russell's move to Mercedes is finally official and while that's to the surprise of precisely nobody the big question now is how will he fare up against Lewis Hamilton and what will happen if he's a little too quick I'm Ed Straw and to discuss those questions and many more I'm joined by Scott Mitchell well Scott let's dive straight into it you've got over the absolute shock about the announcement of Russell's uh, Mercedes I, I guess the the starting point is do you think there's any possibility that a different choice could have been taken for Mercedes or was this just a much, much more straightforward decision than perhaps Toto Wolff has made out? Um, I, I think it was, I think it was difficult in the, in the sense of having to let Bottas go uh, because he has been a good member of that team. He's been a popular member of that team and he has played an important part in what they've achieved as a, as a unit over the last few seasons so I can imagine that wasn't a particularly pleasant thing for Wolf to have to do. The problem is that the, the Russell's case was just gradually becoming too strong to ignore. So I think if you were just going to take it from a, a let shall we say, two or three rounds into the 2021 season, I, I do think it was inevitable. Up until then, I, I still think there was a valid argument to be made for Bottas, um, especially once it became clear that Hamilton was definitely going to stay on beyond this season. And then you've got Lewis saying he's committed to the end of 2023. And while I don't think a driver should never uh, necessarily dictate their teammate, I think it's fair to take their position strongly into consideration. So if, for example, Mercedes was sort of wavering on Russell and not totally convinced, and Hamilton came out and said, I'm going to stay for another two seasons, but I want Valtteri alongside me because that's what gets the best out of me and I'm your chance to win the next two championships. So that's how that's 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 my condition. Then I don't think Mercedes would have been totally wrong to factor that in and say, actually, do you know what? On balance, let's just stick with Bottas because we're, the priority is Hamilton in, in the short term. The, the, the thing is, obviously, Formula One teams that are successful, especially as successful as Mercedes have been, um they they don't make they don't have this success by thinking so short term so i think as soon as mercedes was willing to consider a long term succession plan for hamilton there was no doubt in my mind that it was going to be russell so for months now this has been a case of not just speculating this has been waiting for months to see when not if russell will get the drive 
Yeah, I think the key point there, long-term planning, we've credited their succession planning in other areas of the team very positively in the past. And I think, yeah, it's that point where where they had to really do it. But the really interesting question is that now Russell has earned that chance. And I think there's no question he, he has earned it. He did need to be promoted. The big question is, how will he fare? Because he's thrived at Williams. He's been He has been superb. He's done his learning there. But you never know how well someone will perform when they're thrown into the front of F1. It's like he's passed all the challenges up to now in the junior formula and then with Williams in, in Formula One. But now this is the, the the kind of final step on the ladder. You're going to be measured against Lewis Hamilton, an all-time great. And while you can be confident that he's got a good chance of making it work, you don't really know until he's in there. So what do you expect from Russell alongside Hamilton? I I am expecting him to challenge and beat Hamilton more often than Bottas did. I think in 2022 there is a chance that Russell will uh there's a chance that he will unseat Hamilton within Mercedes a bit like Leclerc did, Charles Leclerc did to Sebastian Vettel, but I don't uh the the caveat I put on that is that I don't think Lewis Hamilton is anything like the prospect that Sebastian Vettel was when Leclerc went up against him at Ferrari as much as I think Russell is very much a Leclerc type in terms of being able to go in and, and destabilise the existing big dog. So I, I think I think Russell will prove himself more than up for the challenge next season. I think he needs to embed himself a bit more in Mercedes before he can become the sort of driver that can beat Hamilton over a season because, because Hamilton is Hamilton is such a so embedded within the fabric of that team he has everything lined up to get the most out of him and to get the most out of the car and to get the most out of the people around him so every single weekend you know that Hamilton's going to leave barely anything if anything on the table and so this is why I think it will take a season for Russell to get into a place like that because Russell will be able to hit you know 100% several weekends over the course of the season but I and this isn't a slight on him at all, but it's like we saw it with Leclerc at Ferrari. We've seen it with Max Verstappen at Red Bull. These guys that come in, they, they do a fantastic job. They prove themselves worthy of the seat, but they are not at 100% every single given weekend. So that's what I think I'll see from Russell next year, which is why I think Hamilton will have the edge on him initially in 2022. The 2023, if that's Hamilton's farewell season, I think, I think Russell can establish himself as the new number one while Hamilton's still around. What's very interesting is there's a fine line to be trodden for Russell because if you go in and you act like the number two, then you kind of get cast in that role forever. And and maybe that's what Valtteri Bottas did. I don't think that necessarily meant that he wasn't quite as good as Hamilton for, due to an external force. I think he wouldn't have been able to assert himself over Hamilton ultimately. Anyway, so Russell's got to go in with a view to usurping Hamilton, if you like, but not in a disruptive way. So it's... It's tricky. Ultimately, Russell just has to do the best job he can possibly do. But very often, the way things start is pretty important for any driver in the team. Maybe you have a little bit of a grace period for the first half season or so, but they will be expecting him to to be putting in really strong performances and being, at worst, not very far behind uh, Lewis Hamilton to show that he can be the guy for the future. Otherwise, they'll start thinking, oh, well, actually, maybe George Russell isn't the succession plan for Lewis Hamilton. And we've got to start thinking about if we try and lure a, a Leclerc or a Norris or a Verstappen or whoever to uh, to be the one for the future. And George Russell knows that. He's very intelligent. He's 
he's methodical. He, he understands what's at stake here and he will know better than anyone that he needs to go in and make that impression. So it's going to be a fine line to, to tread for him. I don't think he'll be disruptive. I think he'll be a good, positive teammate for, for Lewis Hamilton. But, I mean, what a challenge he's got there because, because Lewis Hamilton, he may be 36 and closing on the end of his career, but he is seriously good, clearly still motivated. And this battle with Verstappen, I think, has, has helped him to really drive himself on to, to, to another level as well this year. So, yeah, I'm fascinated to see how both of them responded. Of course, the most interesting outcome is if the two of them are at a very similar level. I think you still say experience-wise Hamilton will have the edge, but that's going to be the tricky one to manage for the team. But what a problem to have if you're Toto Wolff, if you're thinking, oh, we've got two drivers as good as or at a similar level to, to Lewis Hamilton, which very, very difficult to do. But that's going to be uh, really interesting to see. I think they've reached the point now where basically they kind of feel like this is something that will solve itself one way or the other. And we've just reached the point where you can't put off Russell any longer. And I think also Hamilton has realised that just because his preference is Bottas, or that, or maybe the better way to phrase that is just because he knows how good he has it with Bottas, doesn't mean that it won't work with Russell alongside him instead. Um Lewis has spoken about being in a different place in his career than the the two times he's obviously had fractious relationships were obviously Alonso when Hamilton was a, a rookie and Fernando Alonso was new into McLaren in 2007 and then obviously the Rosberg years, the Nico Rosberg years. So Mercedes and Hamilton don't want to return to that. So first of all, there's an incentive from Hamilton's side not to cause any issues on his part. He also He knows that while he's got the star power now, he also knows that it's time that the team's coming to an end and Russell's the future and he knows that. So Hamilton's not, I don't think Hamilton's I don't think Hamilton's the the kind of driver who will put himself at risk in that situation. Hamilton he, he's very intelligent and he understands the bigger picture. If their relationship deteriorated over the course of 2022 and they had a season left together in 2023, Hamilton knows that Mercedes isn't going to jeopardize its future long-term driver Russell to favour Hamilton if they do start getting each other's throats. So I think that's a reason for not to say that Hamilton would cause any problems, but that I think that's a clear incentive for him not to. Uh, then there's the simple fact that it gets the best out of him to have an amicable relationship with his teammate and have a productive working relationship, get the most out of each other in the car. It's better for Mercedes internally to have a, a, a positive atmosphere within the team to have a good dynamic rather than some toxicity, which happened when Rosberg was there. Uh, plus, I also think, I, I do genuinely believe that Hamilton was sincere when he said he is he has got a vested interest in seeing the young guys come for improve themselves. I think Hamilton's a bit more mature, a bit more relaxed now. So while he doesn't, as he said, he doesn't want to lose to these guys, he doesn't want to lose to Russell next year or 2023, whenever it would be, but he's not going to, He's not going to throw his toys out the pram to stop a young guy having a chance to beat him, you know. So I I actually think it has the possibility of working about as well as this kind of relationship could could work. It's going to be the potentially most explosive uh, teammate pairing in Formula One because I think if you look at Ferrari, for example, I think Leclerc does have a fundamental edge there on Carlos Sainz. At Red Bull, we've, it's it's clear that at Red Bull, especially with the car concept they have at the moment, nobody can partner Max Verstappen. So he's he's the clear number one. And actually at McLaren, Lando Norris is establishing himself. He, he's the team's future, isn't he? Daniel Ricciardo will be there probably, hopefully, for a few more years yet. But Norris is 
the future there. And they've got a sort of nice uh, little dynamic going on. I don't really see any tension, but obviously at the moment that's partly because Ricardo's not really close enough to Norris to cause him problems. So it is going to be something for Mercedes to manage, but I think it's in Hamilton's interest, Russell's interest and the team's interest to, to keep it as civil as possible and as positive as possible. And I think what Mercedes and Hamilton learned alongside Rosberg will go a long way to guiding that. You made an interesting point about how this situation will resolve itself. And I think that's something that people often underestimate because Russell's performance will ultimately dictate how well he does. And if he's, you know, if he's half a second quicker than Hamilton, which he won't be, that's just to to make the point. If he's half a second quicker than Hamilton, then the team will relatively quickly galvanise behind Russell and Hamilton will become yesterday's man. That's just how it works. I don't think that will happen. But likewise, if Russell's half a second slower than Hamilton, then he'll slot into the number two role and he will be the new Bottas. I don't know for sure how well Russell's going to do in Mercedes. All you can do is see how they do at each step. He's certainly got the potential that he might well be able to be at a similar level to that of Hamilton. But we don't know. We don't know for sure as yet. All we know is he's he's excelled in what he's done so far and that's why he it was time to to put him in to see how he gets on if if mercedes could be 100% confident he's fine they could just leave him at williams for another couple of years keep bottas in the team to keep the peace but they need to test him one race in the sakir grand prix exceptional as he was doesn't give you a full data set so that's going to be um, going to be a very very interesting one i do think it could create an interesting dynamic championship wise max verstappen said at zanvoort didn't he that he felt if russell was in Mercedes it would it would help him potentially and that is quite interesting because we've talked about the generational battle for Lewis Hamilton Hamilton versus Verstappen but it's like they're all circling him aren't they you've got Verstappen he's taking on this year then Russell's there and obviously Leclerc will be hoping he's got a car that's stronger next year Lando Norris as well is is kind of coming up there a couple of times Hamilton's encountered him on track and has been impressed with him so it's it's almost like this this sort of great prize fighter Lewis Hamilton still excelling and fighting off all the uh, all the young guys which is another great uh, great subplot for this but I've said I don't know how Russell's going to do so how what's if you had to absolutely bet on it now do you think Russell is cut out for this is he a world championship caliber driver yeah I think he's as good as you can be without having fought for a world championship um I think he'll win races if the Mercedes is capable of winning races um to be honest, that isn't something you can say of Bottas. Uh, I know he was a bit unlucky. What was his particularly tricky season? Was it 2018 where he was winless? Uh, he was unlucky. He had one or two races there that he should have won, especially Russia where he had to move aside. But it wasn't actually like a massively impressive season from Bottas. And we're seeing it again this year, aren't we? He hasn't he hasn't won so far this season. He actually hasn't looked particularly close to winning. He was probably his best chance was Portugal. But that wasn't um, that didn't last very long, did it? So I don't think Russell would do that. I think Russell. I, I honestly think if Russell was in the twenty twenty one Mercedes, I think he'd have been more of a contender in maybe two or three Grand Prix. Let's be honest and be fair to Bottas that Mercedes hasn't been capable of winning every race this season, and even Hamilton has struggled. I think Hamilton has won a race on pure performance probably since the Spanish Grand Prix. So, so I. I, I'm not saying that Russell would have come in and won four or five races this year so far, but I think he, I think he might have won one so far, and I think he definitely would have fought for a couple of wins. And I think that'll be the case next year if the Mercedes is good enough in the new regulations to fight for victories. I'd expect Russell to fight for victories. 
I'd actually expect him, if the car's capable of fighting for a championship, I'd expect Russell to be in championship contention until around the summer break and then maybe fade away a little bit and acknowledge that he's second fiddle to Hamilton still. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the championship picture next year. I just don't think he will like necessarily beat Hamilton. So well, I think we shouldn't underestimate that this is Hamilton he's going up against. So trying not to do Hamilton disrespect by saying, yeah, Russell's going to walk in and blow everyone away and he's just going to be absolutely incredible. It's not that we're saying Hamilton's not as good as we've been saying he is for the last few years. We just rate Russell really highly. That's the calibre of driver we think he's capable of becoming. And actually, he might well be a very, very long way towards being that calibre of driver already. We've seen one or two glimpses of it. I know you said the Sakir Grand Prix is a very different prospect. I completely agree. It's a full season over... Uh, a year's worth of conventional circuits, not short, weird ones, um, with Hamilton alongside him rather than Bottas. So that isn't the the world's greatest indicator, but it shows what he's capable of when the car's underneath him. He showed that again with that ridiculously good performance in the wet qualifying at Spa in a Williams to put it on the front row. So yeah, I, I, I would expect Russell to go in and, like I said before, be a level higher than Bottas has been, especially of late. Yeah, the bottom line is it is just time for Russell to have this chance. It was a similar story with Leclerc at Ferrari, to be quite honest. He only had one season with with Sauber, but at the time it was clear really he needed to go in uh, at Ferrari. That's that's the reality of uh, of the situation. One knock-on effect, obviously, is that Williams don't have their their talisman driver anymore. They got good mileage out of Russell. They got the full three years of that contract. Mercedes could have taken him early, so he served them well. We don't know what their driver lineup is. Nicholas Latifi does have a contract, and while there was some discussion earlier this year about whether that could continue, it does seem that he is definitely going to be there next year. So what do Williams now do to try and replace Russell, especially with the fact that Valtteri Bottas has gone elsewhere? It's a very good question. Um, right, so I've got two answers. One is the pragmatic answer, and I think that's Alex Albon. I think he's probably the best available option at the moment in terms of he's got a bit of F1 experience. Um, he is he is a, a a quick driver. He's a decent Grand Prix driver. I don't think he's I don't think he's stunning. I don't think he's a like for like replacement with Russell by by any means. And it would just be interesting to see how he did away from the Red Bull environment and sort of struck out on his own. It's been the making of Carlos Sainz, of course. So it's not a like for like situation, but it would just be interesting to see. Uh, and I would just pick him over someone like uh, Nick De Vries or Guan Yu Zhou, just because I, I, De Vries is interesting. He was Formula 2 champion. Um, he's won the Formula E title. So he's clearly a good driver, but I, he's just not someone who's had like the mega career momentum where you're like, oh, this guy has to get to Formula 1. So I just don't see him as that absolute mega talent. And I think sort of the F1 ship sailed for him a little bit. I wouldn't begrudge seeing him there. He just wouldn't be my pick. So I'd pick Albon over him. I'd pick Albon over Guan Yu Zhou, who has been on the Williams shortlist, the Alpine protege, Formula 2 title challenger. Uh, He's got a lot of backing and he's obviously not without ability. But again, I just don't think he's a a stunner. And this takes me to my personal preference. So I think they will take Albon if they can. Because obviously we know that there's this Mercedes Red Bull rift in the background. Mercedes want Red Bull to completely part company with Albon to let him go to Williams. So I, I that would be my sort of pragmatic pick. But my personal preference, 
is Oscar Piastri. So we know that Joe, Alpine protégé, has been in some kind of discussions with, I think, both Williams and Alfa Romeo. But I take Piastri. Uh, I think he's the Alpine protégé that's got the, the most about him. He won Formula 3 as a rookie. It looks like he might win Formula 2 as a rookie, although the championship's so weird and I think a bit messed up this season. We're only halfway through it still. The F1 silly season is almost over. 2022 seats already confirmed. And f two still messing around, still got half its season left to go. So Piastri, who's in title contention at the moment, could either surge to glory or fade spectacularly. And then I'll come to regret this podcast segment and it will age terribly. But I just think if you're Williams, you're trying to replace a guy like Russell, you're probably keeping Latifi, who's solid but nothing else. I think you want someone a bit dynamic, a bit potentially special, a bit just exciting in the other seat. And I actually think that's Piastri. I, I don't know if he's absolutely stunning. I don't know if he's a megastar in the making, but I've been really impressed by him. He's got a he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's a fantastic racecraft. Um and he's and he's quick as well. So I'd just be really interested to see him. I just when there's a seat like this available, I want it to go to someone who I just think might have a bit about them. And I think actually Piastri might have a bit of a spark, a bit more of a spark than any of the people who are actually seriously in contention for the seat. Yeah, I can see the case of Piastri. He's clearly a driver with a huge amount of potential. My main problem with him would be the fact that he would be effectively on loan from Alpine. And although the Russell loan has worked well for Williams, I'm not sure that's the way to go. I'd rather have a driver you could sign outright. So I think if I was in that situation, I'd be I'd be looking at Alex Alban. There's asterisks by Alex Alban. We know he's got a lot of ability. I don't think he fully delivered it in, in Red Bull, and I do have a few question marks about whether we can get it all together, but there is an element of beggars can't be choosers. Williams is a more attractive destination than it once was, but they're still not picking from the the top or even the, the middle of the pile when it comes to the driver choices. So he strikes me as a driver you could kind of try and recycle, but he's got experience, he's been at Red Bull, so that that's all positive. See if he can, after that year out, really bounce back and, and deliver on the ability that a lot of his contemporaries, you know, in the past, Charles Leclerc's talked him up as a very good driver. Russell knows how good Alban is. And then if it doesn't quite work, then you can say, okay, we'll dispense with him and pick someone else up. The hope being that the team has improved next year and can be at least moving up to the middle of the pile when it comes to the uh, the, the driver option. So that, that's that's an interesting one. We should say, obviously, with Alfa Romeo, I had my say with, with uh, Gary Anderson on the podcast we released on Monday looking at Bottas but what do you make of Alpha's situation both in terms of signing Bottas and that decision and what they'll do with the other seat? It's a lovely uh, vote of confidence for for Alfa Romeo to have been picked over Williams which externally I think you would say has a little bit more momentum about it and a bit more obvious potential but Bottas has obviously seen something he likes about Alfa Romeo. Um, hopefully it's not just the company cars and it's uh, something of a bit more substance. But I think it's great for Alfa that they've been able to get Bottas. Um, I stand by my position. I wrote a piece about this for the for the website. I stand by my position that I think uh, it would just be naive to think that Alfa Romeo is the absolutely where Bottas wants to be going after Mercedes. I think he'd much rather have a seat in one of the more obviously upwardly mobile teams in the midfield and McLaren and Alpine and Aston Martin, that 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 kind of that kind of team. Um, there's a bit more work to be done at Alfa Romeo and a bit less confidence, again externally, that they're actually capable of doing it. But but good for Alfa Romeo. They're, like I said, they've convinced Bottas. They've now got a a good quality lead driver in the team for 2022 and beyond. 
Um, and also a good reference point for whoever they put in alongside because Kimi Raikkonen obviously retiring. He just I, we just haven't been able to judge Antonio Giovinazzi properly alongside Kimi. Kimi's still got plenty about him on a Sunday, but his qualifying performances in particular have dipped. And he hasn't been a stunning race day driver. I just think he's been, I just think he's he's been performing at a good level. He's been doing a lot of like sort of quietly Kimi Raikkonen drives, hasn't he? To just every now and again pop up into the top ten. So I think that's just j- difficult to judge Giovinazzi against, which means. If it had been Giovinazzi plus a rookie or someone for 2022, I'd have been really wary of that. So now if you have Bottas plus Giovinazzi or Bottas plus a new guy come in, then you at least know that you've got one of the fastest guys in F1 in the car. And yeah, Bottas isn't the best Sunday reference, but he will be getting near to the maximum amount of that car every Sunday, I would imagine. So... Again, when it comes to put, uh, who who appears uh, alongside him, it's the same names have been in content in contention. Uh, Albon, De Vries, Joe. Uh, I've heard Theo Porcher, who's the Sauber Academy driver and in Formula Two, uh, he's been mentioned. But I doubt they'd rush him in for for twenty two. I, I personally, I'd pick Giovinazzi just because you've got that known reference in the team for the last couple of years. You've got the, a good bit of stability. And again, like I said before, it's a good chance to judge Giovinazzi against someone who's a bit more in their prime, shall we say, than, than, than Raikkonen has been. So I'd advocate that as the uh, that that as the, the lineup. I have a little bit of a feeling, though, it's going to be whoever misses out on the Williams seat out of Albon and, and De Vries, but I could be completely wide of the mark there. Yeah, I think if I was in Alpha's position, in fact, I'll just say to people, just rewind a few minutes and listen to what I said about Alex Albon. He'd be my first choice uh, again for that seat. Theo Pocher is a really interesting one. He's someone who could have prodigious potential. It's possible he might have the best ultimate potential of all the guys currently at, at that F2, maybe even F3 level. Always a little bit hard to judge. But personally, if I was in the situation of, of that team, I would, as you say, be wary about putting him in too early. I think you gain a lot from, in the junior ranks, kind of what you might say, completing them. He's probably not going to win F2. Maybe if he absolutely has a, just tears through the rest of the season, he could do. He's already won the feature race at Monaco, but I think he's a bit too far behind. So I'd be saying with Pacher, let's look to him for the following season, hopefully as F2 champion, or at least having been battle-hardened in that championship fight and uh, and see how, see how he goes then. So that also supports the idea of an Alban, or I'd agree, a Giovinazzi is a decent option there. He offers continuity, which is important, even with the cars changing. And he is someone you could then think, well, okay, we can get another year out of him, then maybe dispense with him to leave the door open to Pusher in the future. Alfa Romeo's situation is a little bit different because they do have that serious prospect uh, coming up uh, in the junior ranks, which is really interesting. But no point in throwing him in too early. He's, uh, he's still a very young driver, even in the days of Max Verstappen having slightly distorted the curve for, the curve for age of drivers coming into Formula 1. But it's great that, that two of the teams near the back of the grid have created so much intrigue in the driver market, though. But uh, yeah, it, it's it with so much stasis, shall we say, in the middle ranks, it's uh, it, it's been a good talking point. It has, and I think it speaks volumes for how quirky this silly season has become that when you've got these two sort of back marker seats available now, we're still in a roundabout way talking about Red Bull and Mercedes and their little war over it because of uh, Mercedes meddling in or Red Bull seeing it as Mercedes meddling in Williams's affair affairs and saying, well, 
because Mercedes don't want a Red Bull contracted driver having access to their power unit. So that's all got to be resolved if it does need to be resolved. And it's just um, it's just quite amusing to to just in this in this season where there's so much needless uh, niggle between. Red Bull and Mercedes that it's even managed to creep into the absolute dregs of the driver market as well, which is quite funny. But um, I'm actually going to steal your job now, Ed, because I've got a question for you. Um, uh, something that I think is a worthwhile thing to include in this discussion, which is, uh, can you ima- can you think of a time that has had this many just really exciting young drivers filter into the top seats in Formula One. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying. Oh, this is the first time in F1 history that really good drivers have ended up in really good cars because obviously that happens. The best drivers gravitate towards the best teams. But in terms of young guys in the top seats, because we're going to have now Russell in a Mercedes. Russell's 23 now, I think. Leclerc and Verstappen are the same age. They're Ferrari and Red Bull, and Lando's younger than all three of them. Is at the McLaren. So they've all got their. Uh, they've all got their star of tomorrow, haven't they? But, but they're stars of today. When, when was the when was the last time? I've got an answer in my head that I mentioned to you earlier before we did this podcast, but let's see if you can think of any others. Yeah, I, I won't steal your answer because it is the sort of obvious one. But I, I don't think there's ever quite been a point where it's such a clear generational change. I mentioned earlier about Lewis Hamilton being almost the holdout in this uh, generation. Maybe Daniel Ricciardo could still be said to be floating around there, but it's... Given his struggles at, at McLaren, he's uh, slightly out of the equation at, at, at the moment. So it, it is rare that this sort of thing happens, that you have this sudden generational change. There have been times when there have been vacuums, shall we say, but there haven't been these, these bunch of drivers to uh, to come into it. Because basically you look at it now and you say, yeah, Verstappen's going to win. You know, Verstappen should win more than one world championship in his career. I suspect if we're having this conversation in 15 years, time a we'll have been talking for too long and b we'll be talking about Verstappen as as up there in that absolute all-time great conversation Leclerc obviously look at and think he's going to have titles and of course yeah Russell maybe very very possibly could emerge as that and Norris it it is amazing that there has been this uh this sea change uh shall we say and it, and it is rare because just, just sort of thinking back there's always been a little bit more of a spread a little bit more of a a staggered, a phasing in of drivers, should we say. I guess you could say you know, Prost and Mansell arrived at similar kind of times, but it took Prost uh, less time to get to the front and be a title contender. So it wasn't quite so sudden. And it is great because you want these uh, the, the, these new talents coming through. And perhaps it just reflects also the fact that there was a previous generation, which I think you're going to talk about that I'm, I'm avoiding, which is we're kind of at the, the tail end of now, should we say, See, Kimi Raikkonen's gone, and uh, yeah, Hamilton's around. Alonso showed he can still do it, but maybe, maybe it's partly a function of that as well. Yeah, I was originally thinking when I had this idea that um, the last time, the last time you had the sort of new talents come in was Vettel Hamilton time, but it was really only those two, wasn't it? Because obviously, Weber, Mark Weber was alongside Vettel at Red Bull. Jensen Button was alongside. Hamilton at McLaren for a chunk of that time before it was Alonso that Hamilton was partnered with Heike Kovalainen never really sort of he, he looked he, he looked like he had a good amount of potential but he never he didn't turn into like a, an established front runner um, and obviously Kimi Raikkonen had 
had gone away, then came back. Felipe Massa was in the mix as well. But it was these guys that had been around for a little while that coincided with the arrival of Vettel and Hamilton. So you, I think you need to take it back further. And when we discussed it, I suggested 2003. But even that pales in comparison to this one because Ferrari's out of the mix there because it was Schumacher and Barrichello. But you had, by this point, obviously, you had Raikkonen was at McLaren, Juan Pablo Montoya was at Williams, Alonso was at Renault, and uh, Button was about to sort of rebuild his career that had taken a little bit of a knock at, at BAR. But it's fair to say that... Uh, it's fair to say that that situation didn't play out anywhere near the way that we're hoping that this situation will play out next year and beyond. So I just think it's, I just think it's such an exciting age for, for F1 to be moving into. And I'm really pleased that Russell's going to be a part of it. Like I said, at the very beginning of this podcast, it did look like for a long, long time, like this was, this move was definitely going to be happen happening. But up until that point, a few months ago, it was still a bit of a, it was still a bit of a question mark. And, there was a risk of Russell being left the odd one out of this next generation, but now it's all lined up and it's just what a cool position for F1 to be in. I know that we need the rules to go the way that everyone's hoping they're going to go so that they can actually fight one another and duke it out for wins and for titles. We want, we want all of those teams to be in the mix, but I just, I just, there's something romantic about the notion of Ferrari versus Mercedes versus Red Bull versus McLaren with one of those what Zach Brown calls franchise drivers at each team. You know, Russell, Verstappen, Norris and Leclerc, they all have a huge amount of uh, fandom around them. They've brought in new fans. They've really, they've won the hearts of existing fans. They've just got such a huge swell of support that if any of these drivers go up against each other in a championship battle in the years to come, it's just going to be absolute box office for Formula One. And it means that when a driver of Hamilton's magnitude or even Sebastian Vettel, Kimi Raikkonen retiring, Alonso coming to the very end of his career, when these absolute behemoths leave after the careers that they've had, F1, F1 was always going to move on, but it can actually move on into a really healthy period where you have these these guys that were once not too long ago stars of tomorrow and now the stars of today. And it's just going to be really exciting. I absolutely cannot wait to see how it shakes out. I really, really hope we get a chance to see them all actually going at it for a championship against one another. Yeah, and I think F1 is in, in rude health in terms of the driver quality because there's a number of drivers that weren't mentioned there who are performing at a high level. You know, Carlos Sainz, Pierre Gasly, Danny Ricciardo, if he, he gets on top of things, hopefully next year we'll see the best from him again obviously Alpine think they've got their own driver in Esteban Ocon he's been signed up for a long-term deal as well yeah Ocon he's learning from Alonso as well which I think is helping him to kind of just start to edge back into the conversation after uh, he lost a little bit of uh, momentum as well so it's just really really high quality and it means that even if you are I mentioned the middle tier drivers in terms of the driver market even the middle tier is just packed with very very able drivers and even people like Sergio Perez are having a difficult time as well yeah, he hasn't forgotten how to drive. He's struggling, but there's every chance next year he will be a stronger proposition than he than he has been this year. So yeah, that's good news. All you want to see is the 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 best drivers doing well and drivers delivering their maximum potential. And F1's absolutely full of them. Sebastian Vettel obviously is uh, is performing well as well in in Aston Martin. So uh, 
Very good news. Plenty to look forward to next year, certainly with all of those changes. Well, thanks very much, Scott, for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Huge amounts to read there about the driver market and, of course, all the rest of goings-on in Formula One. Check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories, the Race IndyCar podcast, MotoGP podcast, Formula E. Also have a look at our YouTube channel if video is your thing. Well, we're braced for the potential of more driver announcements. This is our third podcast in, in three days. So if there is something, we might well be back before. But otherwise, we'll be back soon with everything you need to know from the Italian Grand Prix. <laughs>